directive? The question is totally with meaning. I'm completely operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly. You look gorgeous. <laughs> that is correct, sir. Welcome to the first episode of the Tech Room Podcast. Hey there, this is James Coleman, your host of the Tech Room Podcast, where every week I uncover and share tech secrets that you can use to take your own technology from practical to masterful, no matter who you are and no matter what your technical skill level is. This week, I want to talk about distractions that our technology actually creates and how to stop them all so that we can be more focused and more productive. Okay, before that, though, I want to cover a couple quick and important notes about the show. So the first thing is that this show is about sharing ideas. It's not uh, a how-to. This is something that works over audio. So if you dig something that we talk about here and you want to go deep, I have tons of information on the TechRoom blog, and you can also connect with me on Twitter. I'm at James Coleman, J-A-M-E-S-C-O-L-E-M-A-N. If there's something else you want to go into, or you've got a question, or you think there's something I missed, I want to know about it, please tell me. Uh, I'm big into video and screencasting as well, and that's a much better place for how-tos. So if it's something you want to see, let me know. I may just create a screencast or a how-to or a course on it. But this place, the podcast, is awesome for anyone who wants to learn more about something. If you want to open your eyes or your mind to a new idea while you're working out, driving, or any place doing anything where you just want to listen. Okay, next. It's going to become pretty obvious pretty fast on the show that I'm a fan of Mac and a lot of the other stuff Apple makes. There's a reason for this, and I want to talk about it. I'm a professional technologist by day, which means that I help other professionals take their lives and businesses to the next level by teaching them how to take their technology from practical to masterful. I have to be a master of all technology to do that, not just specific products. So over the past two decades, I've dedicated myself to understanding the fundamental layers that make up every technology, not just the technology that's in vogue at any given time. I've worked with Apple Mac tech as well as Windows PC tech over the past two decades. And even though I know both of them inside and out, I still prefer Mac because it's better for what I do. And it's frankly, it's better for almost everything out there except for a few exceptions. And that's not just my opinion. It's a fact. And I'll prove it to you on this podcast with every episode. Okay, so that said, if you're a Windows user, I've got some good news for you too. Almost everything I talk about on this podcast is useful to you anyway, because you need to know what's possible and the principles of what I'm talking about apply universally anyway, because most of what I'm interested in are ways that you can become more effective, more productive, and get an edge using the technology that you own or the technology you should own. So Mac users, welcome to the show, and Windows users, welcome to the show, and stay tuned in as well. Anyone can take their technology from practical to masterful using what I'm going to share with you. Finally, on that note, the last thing I wanted to share with you is what I mean when I say going from practical to masterful. Probably the best way to explain this is the way that my friend and colleague, who's from Japan, explained it to me over lunch. We were having lunch one day and he was asking me about my technical philosophy. He'd seen a couple of the presentations that I gave to some businesses and he thought the way I thought was a little bit unique compared to the businesses that he works for. My friend is a really high-end consultant. He works across the globe consulting for CEOs at Fortune 500 companies and the equivalent around the world. And what he, what he shared with me wasn't news to me necessarily, but how he shared it was especially interesting. And the reason why is because a lot of businesses in Japan and the United States, and I would argue probably all over the world, look at tech the exact same way. They look at technology as just tools. They don't actually see it as culture, 
which is actually a real problem. In fact, I was just at a conference held annually at University of California, Irvine, my alma mater, where they were talking about this being the next level for businesses to be able to understand and utilize te technology as an advantage. What my friend pointed out was that Japanese businesses and the executives that run them come from a legacy of the samurai, the Japanese warriors who practice something called Bushido, the warrior's code. The Bushido is made up of a couple of parts, though. Part of the code was learning the way of the sword. The other half of it was learning Confucian principles. The former was a tool of war, of destruction and power, and yet the latter was more a matter of how you live life. The warrior necessarily knew the criticality of a single most important tool, the sword. So my friend pointed out that he believed that the Japanese CEOs today don't understand that tech is the new katana, it's the new samurai sword. I thought about that and I thought, imagine honing a smartphone as effectively and powerfully as a samurai honed their katana. Some people get that and we've seen in recent examples uh, the power of a tweet or even a tweet storm, even if it's one that's poorly spelled and maybe not even true. Regardless of, of whether you like that or not, uh, whether I like it or not, the point is tech is the new sword in business. And when someone decides to master their tools, they can have a ridiculous advantage, even a David-style advantage over Goliath. So that's what I mean when I say take your tech from practical to masterful. So that brings me to our first topic for today, for this week, distractions. So on Twitter, Professor Paul Musgrave, a professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and I would also point out a fan of Earth 616, writes, I want a single button in preferences for all Apple product that just turns off all the dumb sounds. So when I saw that tweet, I realized that I hadn't written about this in quite a while. So here's my current practice and philosophy, which basically addresses five things. The first thing is directly referenced there, which is sounds. But I think that there's a bunch of other stuff that actually creates distractions on a Mac right out of the box. Uh, sounds is one of them. The second one are pop-up notifications. The third are badges, which I'll get into a little bit more. The fourth one is other app-based pop-ups. An example of that is Chrome, which I'll get into. And then finally, the fifth one that I want to talk about is actually a tool. It's the uh, do not disturb function on a Mac, or what I like to call my weapon of mass production. So one of the first things that I do in Mac Mail after setting up my email accounts, just by way of example here, is I turn off all the beeps and bells. Uh, I talked about that over a decade ago. And what I noticed was that the little ding sound that takes up more than just my ears, it also moves my eyes, my train of thought, any kind of focus that I'd managed to muster up away from anything else that I was doing. Mail was even distracting me when I was in mail which is the irony of this, right? Writing a message, the sound made me wonder who was emailing me and was it more important or urgent than something I was working on? That's a major problem. So that gets me to the first point that I wanna make about any kind of technical problem like this. The first thing that I decided on is that I was going to take a completely active approach to my technology instead of a passive approach. What this means is that I'm not gonna let Apple or Microsoft or Google or anyone else tell me when I should be checking something, when I should be looking for something, or when I should be doing anything. That's kind of rather Pavlovian. That's the passive approach, is when you wait for the machine to go bing, and it forces you to look. You fundamentally, when you do that, you abdicate. You basically delegate with complete lack of responsibility your waking hours in life to the tech company and the product that they make, and you hope that they'll do a better job managing you and your time than you will. The problem is 
that nowadays there's way too much. I think the pinnacle of this is when I bought an Apple Watch um, when it first came out. I have nothing against the Apple Watch necessarily. I want to point that out right away. I just don't find that it's useful because to me, it's like the ultimate passive tech device. I actually wrote a blog post about this. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, This is from a couple of years ago where I actually bought my Apple Watch and I spent some time a few days in once I'd gotten used to the technology, had it all set up, quantifying how the Apple Watch actually broke my flow. And ultimately it turned out to be to the tune of about four hours per day, which actually equated to about 14, I'm sorry, 1500 hours per year. And that was with just one device. Now, today there's pop-ups and sounds everywhere, which gets right back to Professor Musgrave's tweet. It's like being in our arcade, only it's a bit of a nightmare if you're trying to stay mindful and calm throughout the day. Imagine, imagine trying to write a paper or get something done standing in line at the grocery store. That's kind of what it feels like. You've got calendar messages, phone calls, Skype sign-ons. When a Skype buddy appears, it makes a little boop, boop, boop sound. Sign-offs, app updates, the list continues to get longer and longer and longer. And every time we make any kind of advancement in terms of operating system, it seems like it's getting more complex because it's adding more capabilities, more things you can do. And every single thing you can do comes with more notifications that you can get that tells you it's doing it. So then you take that and you actually triple it because ironically, the very devices that you're supposed to have to be in sync with each other for things like email and calendar also end up triple notifying you, you know, your Mac, your iPhone, and your iPad, unless you disable it. So notifications exist on all these devices in addition to the watch. So I did a little research and decided to go back and relook at some of what I had quantified back when I bought an Apple Watch. Instead, I decided to look and see how does this apply to things like email and so forth. And I was actually surprised. There's There's more research done now and actually with more time having gone by. Uh, one research uh, com- completed by the Radicati group, I think is how you pronounce it, in Palo Alto, recently estimates that the average person, and I'm assuming American, sends and receives about 120 email messages per day. So if you apply some basic estimation to that, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Fermi estimates, just kind of reasonable estimates, like assuming that half of that is inbound. It's actually probably more, right? Most of the time we're actually receiving more than we're actually sending. But let's assume that half of it is inbound, which is pretty you know, moderate. That means that a ding alert sound is distracting you at least 60 times per day. So that distraction, if you start to kind of like factor in the time it takes you to look away from the email or whatever you were focusing on doing, assuming it distracts you for about two minutes, which I started stopping and starting with a, a thumb trigger how long, uh, as soon as I heard a ding, how long it took me to look at something and then get back on track. And I was actually probably cheating because I was mentally keeping myself focused on what I was thinking about before the distraction. But for me, it was an average of two minutes. You take 60 distractions per day times two minutes, and that's 120 minutes per day or two hours. So I decided to reality check this. And uh, I'll put this all in the notes as well as a reference to the blog uh, post that's going to contain all this. But there was another report that was commissioned by Adobe Systems, you know, the folks that make Adobe Creative Cloud. And Reuters just reported on this particular uh, um, study that they commissioned that the average person spends on email 6.3 hours per day. So when I thought about it, I thought two hours, that's an absolutely reasonable estimate, especially if it's distracted time. Now, I mentioned that there's other things besides sounds. Um, The next big one 
that I looked into were pop-ups. Now, this was interesting for me because I'd already disabled most of the pop-ups on my Mac. So instead, I started paying attention to the hour-long sessions I have where I'm supporting someone over screen sharing anywhere in the United States. It could be somebody referred by an Apple store or by an existing customer. And what I would do is for the first time, I was kind of mentally aware of how many pop-ups actually interrupt us while we're on the screen together. This is on their screen. And what I found was that the customers have an average of about 15 to 20 pop-ups per day based upon an eight-hour day and the number of pop-ups that just randomly appear in the one hour that we're working together, regardless of what time of the day or night it is. Now, I used to have about 10 pop-ups per day. I just remember that mentally, which is about half of what I've seen. And because there is no close all button on most of those, you have to click close or ignore or remind me later, I added that up and I realized that I was spending roughly about five minutes per day throughout the day clicking on things that I already know about. So basically it's a half hour per week of just simply mindless clicking. Now, what gets insane about this is when you start adding it all up. And I, I liken this to compound interest, you know, that kind of magic that happens where you put a little bit of money away, interest accumulates on top of the principal and then interest builds on that. And over time, over the length of time, you end up with a pretty healthy amount of money in a bank account. I think of it the same way, except the problem is that we don't look at time the same way we look at money, even though most of us would agree that time is more valuable than money in a lot of ways. It's actually what we work for in terms of our mini retirements or retirements. So when you take 10 and a half hours a week, which we've already conservatively established, that's 546 hours per year. Now, let's assume that what you want to get done more focused without any distraction would net you one hour less per day getting it done. So in other words, if you're not constantly distracted and your schedule looking like distracted Swiss cheese or productive Swiss cheese with holes filled all over it, then let's just assume that you net one additional hour back per day. You add that up and now you're at 806 hours per year. That's that's a full 20, 20, 40 hour work weeks with time to spare. So you rank that all up and think about what would you do with 800 extra hours per year? Uh, I took, um, uh, I just took the average service professional and said at $150 billable per hour, that's 60,000, it's more than $60,000 per year if you've got work to fill into that. And I think most people are complaining that they usually have a backlog. Even if you assume $50 an hour, it's still $20,000 a year. But there's other things besides money. Think about the book that you want to write or whatever the project is you want to do, or maybe going back to school. There's tons of online education. What could you do? How much could you learn? How many books could you enjoy with 800 hours per year? So I realized that Professor Musgrave is onto something pretty big here. So fortunately, Apple's already given us the biggest key to undoing most of that damage. That is part of what comes with the product itself the notification center. So when you get back to your Mac, just go to your Apple menu and go to system preferences and look for notifications. Once you go in there and it gets a little deep because depending on how much stuff you've got installed, you've got the ability to turn off sounds. You've got the ability to turn off pop-ups. You've got the ability to do all sorts of things. You can go as conservative or liberal as you want to here. Now I take an active approach to things um, and, and more so all the time because I've become aware of it. Hopefully this podcast actually makes you a little bit more aware of it as well, which means that my calendar is there as a place for me to reference the night before, 
I look at it the night before I go to bed. I look at it the next morning as part of my morning routine to see what I've got on my calendar to remind me of anything that maybe the the fog of the night has uh, made me forget. And I periodically look at it probably more frequently on busy days, but I don't wait for my calendar to push beeps and prod me with pop-ups. To me, the more that one takes an active approach like this with an app, the more stuff you can turn off in Notification Center, which means less notifications, less distractions, which means more time for everything else. I actually tend to turn off almost everything. In fact, I used to leave FaceTime and iMessage on, and now I do on certain devices. But most of the time, I have my phone on when I want to communicate with my phone. And Siri is good enough that talking is actually more efficient than typing. So I don't even really use iMessage that much on my Mac anymore. So ironically, I've turned off all the fancy cool notifications because they were just distracting me from what I want to get done all day long. So while you're in the notification center, you can turn pop-ups off too, not just sounds. Um, it's right there, right next to the audio alerts. So you've got audio and visual distractions that you could disable at the same time. The, the next visual distractions that I wanna talk about are badges. Badges are those little red circles that tell you how much uh, or how many things you have that have yet to be processed or addressed. Uh, I personally think that they're useless. The problem that I have, for example, with mail is that everyone gets things that they intentionally ignore. I probably, no matter how good I am with my filters, get uh, about 20% of the email per day, things that I have yet to get around to filtering, so I leave them unread and I move on to the things that I really care about. And the badge, that little red badge, all it does is just tells me how many things I'm ignoring. So I ignore the badge. I go into the apps themselves and turn them off anytime I can. And I just remain active about checking my mail, just like I do about checking my calendar, with what I believe is the right and reasonable frequency to take care of people I care about who may be emailing me, like friends, current customers, and new customers even. So the frequency with which I check is gonna be tailored to them. Now, another type of visual distraction are actually the kinds that are built into the apps themselves. So the two most notable in my world are Chrome and Tweetbot. So this is different than badges, and this is also different than pop-ups. This is pop-ups, the, the kind that pop up on the right hand that kind of stack on top of each other and as you click ignore, 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 the kind that can continue to rotate until you're done, that's the first one you covered. Then the badges are those little red dots on the apps inside the dock or on your phone or your iPad that tells you how many things are being ignored or how many things that you haven't gotten to yet. The third kind of visual distraction are the pop-ups built into specific apps. So let me give you an example of that. Um, they actually have settings and preferences for notifying you. So for example, I use Google Chrome and I tend to read the Washington Post or Huffington Post every once in a while. And if I get a pop-up the first time that says, we'd like permission to notify you of events, et cetera. If you say yes, and you're giving it the permission to do that, it changes the settings for that site. And anytime Chrome is running, even if you're not on that news site, you'll get alerts about what they think are hot news. So back to politics for a second, this almost sent me to the funny farm over the past two months with the current political stuff. If you're reading this in the future, let's just say it's uh, awkward times. And I decided that if I want to subject myself to pain by opening up the news, I'd rather self-administer on my own timing and dose and not on someone else's. So again, I'm taking an active approach at reading uh, maybe uh, crazy uh, fake news and all the other stuff going on right now, as opposed to uh, letting my computer constantly push it at me. 
I, you know what? Um, I think I'm probably for a future podcast before I actually report out on this, I think I'm going to wear a heart, um, uh, a heartbeat monitor and just see how my physical, uh, well-being does as a result of this. I bet it's probably pretty good. Now, the second example is Tweetbot. Uh, I use Tweetbot for Twitter. I think it's really, really cool for handling multiple Twitter accounts. And I turned off all the notifications because I use it like email. I'll check and reply and say thanks to people who follow me, or I'll check and reply to things that people direct message me, and I'm going to do it on my schedule, not on someone else's. So if I'm busy responding back to an email for someone who's got a question that came up because of this podcast, I don't want a, a tweet to interrupt me from giving that person my full attention. Vice versa, if I'm in Tweetbot responding to something, I want to, even if it's only for 140 characters or whatever it is, I want to make sure that I'm giving that person my complete attention, not getting distracted by something else. So this brings me to, last but not least, my weapon of mass production, the do not disturb function. This is uh, a biggie, or I guess you could say that it makes you bigly productive. By default, do not disturb works well when you're giving a keynote presentation. So whenever you go into full screen and you're giving a keynote presentation, it does this automatically. But um, preventing things from popping up, I use it a little differently. I actually schedule hours, which you can do right there under notifications. Again, from the Apple menu to the system preferences, go to notifications. I actually schedule the hours where the only way I'll let myself get distracted is by actively checking on my phone, meaning I got to get up, walk into the next room, my phone's on silent, and I'll check to see if somebody called while I may be getting water or coffee. When I'm at my computer, I'm working on something like this. Maybe I'm writing, podcasting, creating something, and I want to be 100% uninterrupted. Frankly, this is even more important for family. If you want to be focused on your family and, and giving them the full respect that they deserve, whether it's your one-year-old, your six-year-old, your spouse, your teenagers, Do Not Disturb is awesome. It's bigly awesome. I recommend using it. Okay, so that's it for this first episode of the Tech Room Podcast. I hope it was useful to you. If you want more info, check out the blog at techroom.com. That's T-E-C-H-R-O-O-M.com. I wrote up a blog post with screenshots for Professor Musgrave on Twitter, and everyone can check it out at the techroom.com blog. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Tech Room podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. Um, from what I understand, that helps other people find this podcast. And a big thank you to Professor Musgrave out there at University of Amherst in Massachusetts for your tweet and also for taking the blog post that I wrote for you and retweeting it out to all of your followers. I'll have... Uh, your tweet in the show notes. And again, a big thanks. I really appreciate you. And if you have a question about anything having to do with tech, feel free to contact me on the website at techroom.com, or you can message me on Twitter, where I'm at James Coleman. That's at J-A-M-E-S-C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. They'll thank you and you'll be paying all the good stuff forward. I really appreciate you guys listening. I really do. And I'm looking forward to next week where we can get into another topic and continue taking your technology from practical to masterful.